We're going to be reading that in the ESV. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. We're going to give you a moment to uh, find that scripture. Uh, if you have your own Bible or a Bible app handy, we will also project it up here. Matthew chapter 6, 25 through 34. May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us today. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I, yet I tell you, not e- even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, friends, we are continuing in our sermon series, uh, Firm Foundation, and we have been talking about the kingdom of God, how this is Jesus' central message. This is what we have been building towards. And uh, we, we last week talked a lot about treasures and how uh, there are inferior treasures that a lot of us chase after just kind of naturally, the treasures of this world, money, stuff, all of those things. And we are continuing to talk about that. But where the discussion was leading is to talk about anxiety, And that's something that I know is very big in this day and age. It just seems like anxiety is on the rise, you know, and that uh, we live in many ways in an age of anxiety. Depending on where you look, there's different statistics. Some people say that uh, about one in five Americans, adult Americans, have some sort of diagnosable uh, anxiety disorder. That's insane. I, I don't know if that's true, but... That's really high. And that's not to say even, you know, something that you may not consider uh, like like a a clinical disorder kind of thing, uh, but just the daily anxieties that we all face. You know, during this time of COVID, I know that for many of us, we've been feeling it more and more, haven't we? You know, and for me, uh, anxiety is something that, um, you know... uh, it kind of sounds weird to say anxiety is near and dear to my heart, like, like I like anxiety, you know? I definitely don't like it, but it's something that's been a part of my life a lot. For me, uh, a couple years ago, I had an anxiety disorder. It's called panic disorder. I was having panic attacks all the time. Um, and, and fortunately, I'm not suffering from that anymore. Uh, but for me, one of the things that was really, really helpful is learning how to seek the kingdom, that that is actually a very practical thing. We mentioned this last week, that Dallas Willard uh, says that one of the marks of living in the kingdom of God is not having anxiety. 
And, you know, maybe for some of us, we've heard messages like this before. It's definitely not the first time I've talked about it. I, I want to encourage you to stay uh, engaged. I know that maybe for some of us, we're just like, Pastor Steve, it sounds great. It sounds great when you talk about living a life of no anxiety, but come on, is it actually possible? I mean, is it just something that there are some people who are just more anxious than others? Or maybe it's just inevitable, and no matter what you do, you know, there's just good days and bad days, but come on, we're in a global pandemic. What are you going to do? And friends, I I have to say that um, for me, as I've been learning more about anxiety, I've been learning that I, I really don't think it's completely inevitable. I think, you know, a certain degree of anxiety, come on, you know, it's just part of life. Because anxiety is actually fear, right? Fear is just, it's just part of, you know, what makes us human. It's, it can be very helpful, right? If, if there's a, a, a lion and it's about to eat you, fear is very helpful. You should not be like, doo, 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 doo. hey, lion, what's up? You know, you should be afraid and you should run, right? But this is the problem. Anxiety is fear without an object. So think about that moment. Anxiety is fear without an actual tangible object, like a lion or like an attacker with a knife. If you have one of those, then you know very clearly when it is there and when it isn't, right? If you see the lion, be afraid (laughs) and run away by all means. If there's an attacker, defend yourself. By all means, do those things. But what if... You don't see the lion, but you think about the lion all the time. And, 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 and you see the lion in the shadows, even when it's not there. And, and so every moment, you're afraid of the lion. That's a little bit what anxiety is like. Nowadays, uh, the most common anxiety disorder, it's just kind of a blanket coverall for just, you know, what they call generalized anxiety disorder. And so if you go to see your doctor and, um, you know, you you tell them that you're super anxious and, you know, they'll give you like one of these checklists and you'll talk about your different things, most often, more times than not, they're probably going to say generalized anxiety disorder, which is just, it can be a lot of things. It's not just one thing, right? That's the thing with anxiety. And that's why we have to talk about in terms of kingdoms, because anxiety is a atmosphere, It's it's a kingdom in the sense that it's an environment. It's a place where you live, right? You can be anxious about many, many things. There are people who are in anxiety. They're not just fearful of the lion that they see. There's some people who are just kind of fearful of everything. When I had my anxiety disorder, I found that, uh, so it started with me thinking I couldn't breathe. And so that's where it started. I started having these panic attacks about that. But then I started getting afraid of lots of things that I usually were not afraid of. Like, like it's going to sound kind of silly, but I was afraid of uh, not brushing my teeth properly. <laughs> I know this sounds weird, but at night, I had a really hard time sleeping. And, you know, I started noticing that I had like a little bit of a toothache. And so I started getting like really, really anxious about that because I'm like, I'm already having a hard time sleeping. So if I have a toothache on top of that, it's going to be really bad, right? And so if I couldn't brush my teeth properly or if I didn't, you know, or if we ran out of floss or something, I would get really anxious. That never bothered me before, man. Let me tell you, 
In, in college, oh man, I, 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 it's so disgusting what I would do. I mean, I would go days without brushing my teeth. I, okay, that's okay. It's not days, but it was bad. <laughs> All I'm trying to say, some people are like, Pastor Steve, you nasty. All I'm trying to say is that that wasn't always true in my life, right? But when I was in anxiety, I started being really, really weird about things, like noises, you know, like like when when uh, the the washer and dryer were running, you know, I would have to like close the door to the laundry room. And just like even that, I would be like, oh my gosh, it's bothering me so much. Or, you know, um, my wife, like, like she was like so puzzled because I had this weird thing about sunlight. Like I felt like I wasn't getting enough sunlight. So I was like, maybe I'm not getting enough sunlight. Maybe that's why I can't sleep. So I always wanted like the, the um, you know, the curtains um, open so I could get enough sunlight. Man, it was just so many things, right? Like, I'd get anxious if I got too much sunlight, or I got anxious if I didn't, didn't get enough sunlight. I got anxious when I was indoors too much. I got anxious when I was outdoors too long. It was just everything, right? It was a mood. It was an environment. It was the air around me, right? And so there is something about that to be said, that yes, there are times where I've been in anxiety, and there are times where I haven't been. Sometimes you can slip into it in and out, right? And yes, a part of that is natural, but a part of it is something we can do something about. I'm not having panic attacks anymore, right? I'm not getting anxious about not brushing my teeth. I still do it. Let me assure you, I do brush my teeth. <laughs> That's actually one of the great habits, not that I wasn't brushing my teeth before, but like, like, like I, I could like, I just wasn't a regular flosser. Now I am, <laughs> Thank you, panic attacks. But, <laughs> you know, anyways, all that is to say that th- there is something about this idea that, you know, you may not even know that you're there, but you can be in a kingdom of anxiety. And so I want to help us to, to understand what it's talking about when Jesus is telling us, you don't have to be anxious. There is a different kind of reality, a reality that we call the kingdom of God. And I want to show you something that this is a well-worn passage for me and probably for a lot of you. It's one of my favorites, I'll be honest. I love this passage. I've read it so many times. And when I was reading it for this upcoming message, it actually struck me in a new way. I didn't think I was going to preach this message that I'm about to, that that I'm preaching right now. I've talked about the anxiety stuff, but there's an aspect to it. And it is the aspect of treasure, the aspect of value. Because we've already talked about that, right? Do not store, you know, do not uh, uh, live for or build up uh, uh, treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, but live for the treasures in the heavens, right? That, that are lasting. You know, and we talked about that last week. But we're going to talk about treasure in a little bit of a different way here. So let's take a look. Uh, Verse 25 and on. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. This is coming right after where it's saying, you know, you can't live for God and money. You can't serve both, right? We need God to be God. We need God to be king. We need God to be supreme. And if God is supreme and if we're living in this kingdom, therefore, I tell you, you don't need to be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet 
your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? This is what stood out to me this time when I, when I was been going over the scripture again. It's this idea of value, treasure. Treasure's all over the place, but again, we usually talk about it as a pejorative, right? As a way of saying, you're not treasuring God enough. What's wrong with you? You are flawed. If you could only treasure God more, then everything would be okay. Now, how's that working out for us? (laughs) Does that make you feel less anxious? (laughs) Does that make you feel more at peace with the world? Maybe not. But there is this aspect of, you know, we, we hear passages like this, and we hear it as like sort of a, 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 like a, a scolding. You know, don't be anxious. Why are you so anxious? Friends, anxiety is just normal. It's just a part of life. It's a part of who we are, you know. But what we've been talking about this whole time is that the kingdom of God is meant to take things that are normal and flip them upside down. All of us drift towards anxiety, it is just a part of who we are. We, we, we say that there, you know, we have this flesh, this natural part of us. And the thing that the flesh responds to the most is pain, pain and pleasure. It's pretty much all the flesh can do. It, it, it wants to and it prioritizes and it tries to minimize pain and, and threats uh, and to maximize pleasure because pleasure is the absence of pain, Right? And so, you know, for many of us, if you live in this world where there feels like there's a lot of threats, you are going to be anxious. Why do we feel like there is a lot of threats, though? That, I think, is the heart of this passage and the heart of us understanding what it means to live in the kingdom of God. Who are you in the kingdom of God, by the way? Are you just a bird? Are you just some grass? Are you just some bozo? And brothers and sisters, what I'm about to say may not sound revolutionary to you, but it would have been to Jesus' audience. Because you have to remember, Jesus' audience grew up hearing all the stories about the greatness of God. God is everything, and you are nothing. God is holy. You are a sinner. God is king. You are but a creature. Right? You're just dust. Right? Here today, gone tomorrow. Right? Dust you are, and to dust you will return. Do you remember where that comes from? It's in Genesis. After the man and woman fall. The man and woman who were what? Created in the very image and likeness of God. They were made to live in the garden in perfect harmony with God. But their disobedience, it was the sin that broke their fellowship with God. And, you know, God told them, you're dust. I created you. I can very easily just, you'll blow away. And we know that. You know, this is the biblical worldview. We come up in a world where we understand that God is absolutely holy. He is so big. Who are we then? I mean, we are infinitesimally small. Now, you don't need the Bible to tell you that. 
There are many people who look at this world and they are in awe of the universe. When, when you step back from it, when you step back from all your dramas, from all the things that you think are so, more, so, so important, you are the equivalent of cosmic dust. We're so small when it comes to this whole universe. And when it comes to the whole of history, our time on this earth is relatively short. How long do we get? 100 years, maybe, if we're, we're lucky? You know? But it's just a blip. You're here today, gone tomorrow. And for many people, that is absolutely frightening. And for a lot of us, we know how frail life can be. We talk about anxiety. We talk about fear. We talk about threats. Oh my gosh, everything is threatening. And especially if for many of us, we live as practical atheists. We live in this secular age where we've basically removed God from the equation. And so we feel our frailty all the time. It is what we all live for, is to feel a little bit less frail, right? We feel so insecure at any time a disaster could come and just take away everything, so let's build a house that's nice and sturdy. So when the disaster comes, that we're going to be safe and secure. Well, you know what? Things can come and blow away your house. I mean, there's forces of nature, right? There's tornadoes that can destroy your house. So let's get insurance. Let's buy into these policies. So even if something happens to our house, you're going to be safe. Oh, well, let's build a nest egg, right? Let, let's, let's have savings and all of these things. It's all because we live in an uncertain world. And I'm not saying those things are bad, but I'm saying that for many of us, it defines our existence. That feeling of fundamentally feeling fragile and unsafe. And maybe it's because we suspect, we think, that there is no one looking out for us. So we got to look out for ourselves. I know sometimes people talk about like YOLO, the, the you only live once. You know, there was this SNL skit uh, where they were talking about that, that, that. That's supposed to be this thing for young people to kind of live recklessly. You only live once. YOLO! You know, it's almost like you, right before you jump off a cliff, you go, YOLO! And the SNL skit was the complete opposite, is that these people who would take absolutely no risk because they're like, you only live once, right? Anything can happen to us, so we're not going to take any risks, right? Everything we're going to approach you know, cover ourselves in bubble wrap, right? We're always going to have mitts on and we're going to treat everything like it's dangerous because every moment can be our last. It's a frightening way to live because a lot of us do not know our value. We're like, look at the birds of the air and the grass of the fields. It's here today, gone tomorrow, just like us. Who do you think you are? You are nothing. You're worthless. You have no value. So what do we do? We try to find value, right? So we clothe ourselves. We, you know, get our degrees. We do these things to get money, to get status and prestige and to make ourselves look great. You know, we wear fine clothes. So when people look at us, they don't look at us and say, you're worthless. They look at you and they say, you must be worth something because look at you. Look so good, right? Oh, what does that person do? Oh. They're a doctor. They've got letters after their name. They must be somebody. We're trying to convince the world, but we're also trying to convince ourselves. I'm worth something. I'm valuable. For Jesus' audience, they would have heard what Jesus said. 
And maybe some of them would be like, are, are you sure, Jesus? Do you know what you're saying? He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. He's just using logic. He's like, look at the birds of the air. By the way, birds were apparently really cheap. You know, if you had to buy a bird, I don't know, to eat. <laughs> I don't know if you would eat a pigeon. But, you know, there are people who would buy birds so that they could sacrifice them at the temple, and they were very, very cheap. You know, in fact, you would reserve the birds for poor people. And there's these provisions in the law that would say that you, you can use a goat, but if you couldn't afford it, you could get a bird because they knew birds were cheap, right? Completely, just almost no value, just a penny, right? And Jesus says, hey, just look logically. God is taking care of these birds. They always have something to eat. We have been feeding birds at our house I know my family knew I was going to talk about this because, man, these birds, like, like, they are like the, the most greedy, ravenous birds we've ever seen. We put out this bird feeder, I, I kid you not, it's like this big, you know, and within like two, three days, it's completely gone. I don't know how these birds do it. Do you ever see a bird eat bird seed? It's like, like it's tiny and they just, right, like, like how much are you going to eat? But how much, how many birds, and how much bird seed do they have to eat to eat this whole thing in two, three days? I digress. I mean, we're burning through so much bird seed. But there is like this little bit of fear for us, like, oh man, we got to keep feeding these birds, you know, they're eating it so quickly. And just after a while, Aaron's like, dude, I can't do this. I can't keep refilling it every time it's empty, because they're going to eat us out of house and home, man. This is getting expensive, you know, but then the thought occurred to us. Even before we started doing this, we just started doing this, like, you know, a few weeks ago. Birds had something to eat. We didn't look in our lawn and see all these dead birds or all these emaciated birds. They figured it out, right? They, God provides for them. And then th this thing that we highlighted, are you not of more value than they? Are you not more value than they. It is meant for you to ask that question of yourself. Am I? Am I of more value than a bird that you can buy for a penny? Bird that is the cheapest of all the animals. Are you not of more value? Because God is taking care of them. The implication is God values birds too. You are surely worth more than a bird. In fact, you are a child of God. Now, we care for our birds, but it's getting expensive. I don't know how much more we're going to feed them. But that same logic does not apply to my kids. I'm not going to hypothetically be like, man, you're burning through too much food. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. Good luck. <laughs> No. Why? My kids are way more valuable than those birds. Of course I'm going to provide for them. Right? And isn't that same logic true of God? If we are more valuable, right? So friends, I, I want to ask you that question. What are you worth? I, I, I got this picture when I just looked up the question. I just literally looked up, what are you worth? And I found this picture of a guy opening his shirt. It looks like a businessman type dude. And just money is coming out. 
that this is what we talk about. We talk about like this, this you know, worth in terms of, you know, I'm worth $1.1 billion or I'm worth $5. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what your net worth is. But, you know, we talk about this value in terms of money, right? And there's some of us, like, you know, it's one of the great anxieties of people when they graduate college, when they don't get a job. If it takes a couple years for you to get a job, you start feeling like you're worthless, right? Everyone else is getting a job. Everyone else is accruing value. What about me? What does this say about me? Is there something just inherently in this world that increasingly is just living as if there is no God, living as if all there is is this. You're just a little blip on the cosmic scene that is here today, gone tomorrow. You are imminently fragile. Where a lot of us, we're just like, man, I'm not worth much unless I just hustle, 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 and just try to build this worth as much as possible. And I think it's making us anxious. It's making us crazy. What if you already had that worth? What if you already knew it? What if you lived in a kingdom and an environment where you knew your worth? One of my favorite Christmas songs, I know it's not Christmas, but I immediately thought of this when we were talking about worth because there's a line in the song, O Holy Night. And, and I looked it up just for research purposes. I like to do this for fun. I really didn't need to look it up, but I like the song. And the first one that came up was the Mariah Carey version. You guys don't know Mariah Carey? She's an awesome singer. And when she sings it, man, it's just, you know, um, oh, holy night. It's just crazy. Anyways, that has nothing to do with the message. But, uh, you know, I was listening to it, and there's this line where it's like, Long lay the world in sin and error pining. I'm just going to read this part because my singing is distracting, I know. Till he... (laughs) I can't help but sing it. I just want to sing. Don't hate me. Till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. We look at our sin. We look at who we are as these finite human beings, these creatures. And we're like, we're not worth much. And I have lots of proof of that. Look, I just keep screwing up again and again and again. Until he appeared, until Jesus appeared, and the soul felt its worth. Jesus is the Son of God. And by believing in him, we become his adopted brothers and sisters. We also become sons and daughters of the Most High who now live in this kingdom, in this reality, where now you have worth. You have worth. Let's continue here. Um, Well, actually, I want to take a, a, a look at a scripture. Maybe, you know, some of you are like, Pastor Steve, You're saying, you know, aren't you of more value than they? But how much more value are we? So if a bird is one penny, maybe we're just two pennies. No, I think we're way more than that. Do you guys remember last week we talked about uh, the treasure hidden in the field, right? This is a great uh, parable of the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now, the way that the traditional way of, of hearing this parable is what I preached on last week. And there's really no problem with 
this, right? The idea that the kingdom of God is so valuable that you should be willing to sell everything to have it. It's just that great. And you would be happy about it. It would be a bargain because the kingdom of God is greater than anything you can have, right? And there's a lot of scripture to back up that interpretation. Recently, uh, this was like, I don't know, Jason Lee, you can, you can tell me how long ago this was. I was meeting with Jason, our, our praise leader, and he was sharing with me uh, something that he had heard from a pastor um, in the Lansing area, this guy, Noel Heikinen. He's a great, great preacher. Um, and Noel had this different take on uh, this parable. And I've met Noel. Noel has actually spoken at uh, an LGM retreat years ago. I like Noel. But when I heard this interpretation, excuse my French, it pissed me off. I was like, mm, no. No, I got like really mad. Uh, and, and whenever I had that kind of response, I, I have to kind of check myself. Why am I feeling so strongly? So this is what Noel says, is that he's like, when you look at what it says, it does not say that you are the man who found the treasure. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now, Joel's, uh, Noel's justification, I'm not sure I completely buy it, but it's compelling. He says, when you look at some of the other stories in this chapter... The man, the protagonist, the lead person in the parables and the stories is God. It is not you. So maybe the man is not you. It's actually Jesus. And then what is the treasure then? The treasure is you. So the man goes and sells all that he has. And didn't Jesus do that? He gave his very life with joy to purchase us so that we could belong to this kingdom too. Now, I, like I said, I didn't like that interpretation at first. Why? Is it because it's unbiblical? I mean, for one, you know, you get attached to your way of looking at a scripture, you know. So maybe I just didn't want to admit I was wrong. But I wonder if there was something just too, too presumptuous, presumptuous, you know, too, too like, self-centered. Like, oh, you're going to call yourself the kingdom? Who do you think you are? Mm. You're cosmic dust. You're worthless. And you're going to come in here and be like, I'm the treasure, you know? And I'm like, I don't like that. And friends, I actually have come to think that you can actually look at it both ways, and you can find scripture to back it up. Let me prove it. So this is Matthew 18, 12 through 14. I think we we know the story, but Jesus says, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Actually, the context of this is Jesus is talking about children. Children were often dismissed in Jewish culture because they were just not seen of much worth, right? You know, children, they couldn't really do much work, right? They had no net worth. When they opened up their shirt, money didn't flow out. 
you know, just like marbles and pebbles will flow out, right? <laughs> they just don't have much, you know? And so the disciples would just dismiss the, the, the children. People would bring children to Jesus, and the disciples would be like, stop wasting Jesus' time. They're worthless. And Jesus says, no, no. Even one that goes astray, even the least of these, the littlest ones, are worth more than you can possibly know. This is Jesus' way of saying, you, especially when you feel lost and worthless, you are my treasure. Friends, this is what it means to live in the kingdom of God. I want to push it even further. Let's take a look where it says, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to to his span of life? You know, we know that all these things we do to hustle and to try to extend our life, because isn't that what we're trying to do? We're trying to make ourselves safer. We're trying to make ourselves more secure. Oftentimes, what we find out is being anxious is eating away at our lives, right? We're making our lives shorter, not longer, you know? And all of these things are not making you less anxious because it's not one thing that you're anxious about. The anxiety is within you. And around you, you're in a kingdom of anxiety. The way to not be anxious is live in a different kingdom. You live in a kingdom where you feel worthless. No matter how much you hustle, you're never going to be convinced. The soul will not know its worth until you live in a kingdom where you know in that kingdom you are a prince, you are a princess. It's, it's not something that we're entitled to. We, we just woke up and like, yeah, I'm a prince, yeah, I'm a princess, you know, like, like, come, and I'm better than you. That's one of the problems in this world, is there are some people who think they're of great worth. They just happen to think that you're worthless. <laughs> you know, the, and, and so then they can trample over you. Or you can treat other people just abysmally to get what you want and what you think you deserve. But if we all have worth in this kingdom, it looks different, doesn't it? If that person, you know, who's being rude to you at the supermarket... You know, if that person who cuts you off in traffic is also a prince, is also a princess, looks different, doesn't it? Right? If you know that God is looking out for you because he's your treasure. Ever seen a parent who, like, maybe it kind of looks like they're not paying attention, and then something happens to their kid. They fall, right? Or, like, I don't know, maybe they wander out into traffic and something starts coming. That parent who looked like they weren't paying attention, who looked like they could care less, will all of a sudden drop everything and go running towards the child. Right? You've seen it. You've seen it. It's an automatic thing. I had a friend once who told me <laughs> that she was, like, uh, hanging out with her, her brother. And, and she doesn't have any kids, but her brother... Um, their, their kid was, like, playing on the stairs or something or tumbling, and their kid fell. And, like, she was, like, eating this ice cream, and her, her, the kid fell. So th- this is, like, her, her niece, right? Niece falls, smacks her head, right? And all of a sudden, the parents just leap into action. They're just like, oh, right? They drop everything. You know, I think they were eating ice cream, too. But my friend was so ashamed because she was, like, had this moment where she's like, ice cream? Niece, ice cream, <laughs> and she's like, don't you think a good aunt would be like ice cream, <laughs> you know? But she's like, I kind of want to keep eating the ice cream. Not the parents. Parents drop everything. Why? 
It's their treasure. There's nothing worth more to these parents than their kids. Do you know that that is actually your standing in the kingdom? So when you are sitting there and you know you have this all-powerful God who is your heavenly father, and you're walking through this life, there's, there's a different kind of swagger that you would have, right? A different way of holding yourself, a different way of looking at the dangers. Now, it's not to say that you should just be careless and walk out into traffic, right? You know, remember, there's even Jesus, the Son of God, when the, 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 this is what, what, what uh, Satan does, right? Throw yourself off the temple and God will catch you, right? And he's like, no, 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 don't put God to the test, right? Jesus is, must obey the laws of physics too when he's on this plane of existence, right? We must obey the laws of physics. We, we shouldn't walk out into traffic. There are ways that we should, as God's children, be you know, just using common sense and living our lives with what God has given us. But you don't need to walk around quaking and being afraid, right? It doesn't do any good. And, and, and all these things that we think are going to clothe us and make us look better. It says, why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive tomorrow, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Now, friends, maybe you've heard this many times before, but did you catch the difference here? Jesus started talking about one thing, and, he's, and then he's, he ended up talking about a different thing. He started talking about lilies. Lilies are, oh, yes, lilies are beautiful, right? I, I, I put the caption here, God showing off a little. They're beautiful, right? This is one of my favorite flowers. But did you catch what Jesus said? So he says, yeah, he, not even Solomon could strut like one of these lilies, right? And he says, but if God so close the grass of the field... That's the switch, right? He started talking about lilies, changed to grass, right? Now, what what is Jesus talking about here? He's saying that in the the fields, right, there's there's a bunch of grass, and grass is just grass. It's like the most plain thing. But then you get lilies that spring up, you know? And grass is pretty worthless. In fact, um, there are farmers that when the grass dries, you would just burn it. That's what he's talking about here. It's alive today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven. You know, the, the, the grass is worth more to the farmer when it's dead. <laughs> you know, and so it's not worth much. You got birds worth a penny, the most worthless of, of, of animals, you know, in, in at least the economy of the time. And then you had grass, which is the most worthless of plants, plant life, Right? But amongst the grass, God will raise up these beautiful lilies to clothe the grass. Just like for us, you know, maybe for us, we don't seem so beautiful, right, with clothes. If I wasn't wearing any clothes, right? But God does provide for us. God provides beauty. Have you ever wondered, you know, why there are things in this world that are so beautiful? Why God created us for an eye for beauty. Is that just being selfish? Is that just being self-centered? Is that just being frivolous? Like, man, come on. There's people starving in this world, and, you know, you're focused on beauty? But, friends, it is one of those things that gives us great value. 
in life, that makes life worth living. When you see something super beautiful, you see someone paint something beautiful. Oftentimes, people will just paint God's creation. We're like, look at that painting of the thing that God actually created, you know? And because God is the master artist, right? It doesn't get better than that. And this idea that you can actually enjoy that, you can actually enjoy the things that God is creating for you, just feels like, you know what? I, I I just can't do that. This lowly grass gets beautiful lilies to be their kind of clothing, to make the whole field look radiant, right? And God wants to do that for us. Oh, you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? And which of you, uh, oh, sorry, uh, we, we missed that one. Um, that was out of order. But For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, we, we talked before about how you seek this kingdom, to, to live in, in, in a reality where you know your worth. What does that look like? Maybe for some people, I, I'll tell you just kind of a few things that I do. One is that um, I make a cup of coffee in the morning, and I just go sit by the window for 20 minutes to just be still with God. Something that, that's called uh, centering prayer. And just any thought that comes in, I don't fight it. But when I catch myself thinking, I just say, Jesus, and just go back. Just go back to just being, just enjoying. Not having to control the universe for 20 minutes at a time. And it's something that really, over time, does put me in a different frame of mind, in a different kind of uh, uh, you know, for, for, for a lack of a better way, you just become less reactive. You know, you just learn to be still. And so things just don't affect you the way that they used to when you're just always responding to something like it's a big threat. You know? Um, maybe there's some people who, uh, you've done this before. You've gone and you've walked in, 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 in a forest or, you know, you've gone to a park and, and you've seen the beautiful trees, and now there's these beautiful trees that are, you know, blossoms are coming out, and you're just enjoying it, right? You're considering the birds of the field and the flowers of the field, and you're, you're, you're just walking in God's provision, and you're reminding yourself that you're provided for. And, and they say that walking for 20 minutes in nature, it's got this natural uh, stress-relieving thing where, you know, they say if you could bottle nature that 20 minutes, that it would be by far the most effective um, medication that you could possibly have for, for stress, for anxiety, right? All of it, stress, anxiety goes way down, you know? And so I would try to every day go and walk in nature for 20 minutes. Before I go to bed, I would focus on a scripture, maybe like this, Matthew 6, and just read it slowly with a cup of tea. Put a little honey in it. And just, you know, just read it, not trying to study it, not, not trying to wring my brain over it, but just enjoy it. Do not be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Just enjoy that tea, right? 
Now, friends, maybe there's many of us who are like, I can't do that. I've actually tried, and I can't do it. I, I will tell you, there are times where, you know, uh, I would worry. Maybe this is just a part of the way I grew up. You know, I was like a little embarrassed to even tell my, my, my family that I was going into my room to pray. Or sometimes they would come in and they would need something. And I would act like I wasn't praying real quick, you know. And it's like, it's so silly because I'm a pastor, right? Isn't that what I'm supposed to do? And actually, my, my family doesn't mind at all. And now that they know that I'm doing it, usually they'll come in or, or you know, they'll knock. And if, if I don't answer, they're like, oh, he's probably praying. And they'll just kind of leave me alone. Or if I, it, like, you know, the first time I told Aaron, you know, it probably came out kind of funny because I was like a little embarrassed to say it. Like, hey, I, I'm going to go pray right now. And I expect her to make fun of me. I don't know why. It was just my paranoia. But she's like, okay, right? No big deal. Why? Why is that, that a part of me? Maybe this will make sense to you. Some of us feel like we can't afford to do that. Listen to what I'm saying. It's not that you don't have the time. You know you have the time. It's that you can't afford the time. Your time must be spent accruing value. Your time must be spent on something, you know, maybe you're like me. You have a family, and you're like, I can't take that time. I often always have to serve my family, or I always have to do something around the house to earn my keep here, or, you know, to, to, to contribute. You know, I got to go out there and earn that cheddar, right? I got to make that money. I got to make that grade. I have time to sit here just dilly-dallying and just enjoying the flowers of the field. And for one, I would feel kind of bad about that. Why? Because we don't understand our worth. If you understood that you were the treasure, you were the apple of God's eye, you were worth more than all those birds, all of those lilies of the field got nothing on you. You are God's treasure. But can you imagine God looks at you and the way that you value yourself? I mean, there's so many of us, the way we eat, like the amount that we sleep. Why? I mean, aren't we the most important thing? Isn't our bodies the most important thing? But we don't value it at all. Because we got to go, go, go. Hustle, hustle, hustle. Earn, earn, earn. We got to accrue that value because we don't already have it. If you already had it, you already knew how valuable you were, I think you would guard those things more carefully. And the more that I spend time in the kingdom of God, it's, it's not this arrogant, like, I'm worth it, you know, flip my hair kind of thing. But it's one of these things where you do realize you're worth more and more. You don't have a problem taking time for yourself. Because it's the whole, like, um, you know, I, I call it the airplane mask thing. You know, I know we all have to wear masks now, but you, you know like when uh, there's a problem in the plane and the plane's about to go down and the, the mask comes out? They always tell you this, right? You're supposed to affix the mask to your face first. Breathe that oxygen. Take care of yourself first before you help someone else, right? And in many ways, you need to live in the kingdom of God without that anxiety. If you want to really contribute to this world, in a way that isn't going to just add more anxiety. 
I want to bring the kingdom into this world. So I need to get it first. So I need to prioritize it. So I need to seek it first. And when you seek it first, friends, then, yes, you know, you do still have to work. You still have to worry about the troubles of today. But the troubles of tomorrow, it's not your problem. You know whose problem that is? It's God's. And he's going to take care of it. You don't need to worry about Because, number one, we already know, you can't do anything about it. You can sit there and worry. It's just going to make you more miserable. It's going to make you more anxious. It's going to make you less present. Right? You're not going to be living in the kingdom of God. So every day, man, I need to be in that place. I need to plant my butt, you know, (laughs) in that chair, and I need to pray. I need to learn to do it. At first, man, my anxiety is like, no, no, we don't have time for this, right? We, we got to go do something. You know, but the more that I learn the rhythm of the kingdom, the more I crave it. Now I can't go an entire day without praying or I feel off. I know something is missing. I need it every day because I'm just inundated, like all of us, in this kingdom of anxiety out there in the world. Right? Out there in the world, people are freaking out. Out there in the world, people are hustling because they think they're worthless. And they probably think you're worthless too. <laughs> so I need to carry the kingdom of God inside of me. No matter what they say, no matter how they treat me, I know my worth in the kingdom. Amen? Amen.